Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pulp Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I am your host, GMB Kamichek, known by those that love me as Gregory Kamichek. And I have brought two people to replace my long-suffering co-host, because it takes two to equal the power of one chasing artwork. I've brought Dr. Jonathan Ball onto the podcast. Um, he is made the long journey from his own podcast, writing the wrong way, um, to come to our secret headquarters here. And Lyndon Rodchenka, writer, letterer, comics aficionado, and um, Grant Whisperer, hmm. we've found out recently, has come to the show. And gentlemen, what should we talk about today? So that's the topic when I asked you what should we talk about. The topic is. What I said, "What do you want to talk about, Gregory?" He's I like, said, "Oh, ask me on the podcast." Know. He yeah, says, "Ask me on the podcast." So Justin is absent because um, because he doesn't value his time with us anymore. <laughs> and so Justin, if you're listening, I just want you to know. No, he sent me a note that said, "You'll have to do the podcast with half the charisma now." Because I can't come today. So you brought Jonathan Ball. Yeah. So I brought. I thought <laughs> Only who half has the half the charisma? Yeah, of Justin, <laughs> <laughs> Lyndon, and Jonathan. Um, gentlemen, it's the new year. There's a new convention season, a new publishing season, a new list of problems with the supply chain ahead of us. I want to know what's on your minds as we move into the new year. That's a great uh, question. Well, then what about you? What's on your mind? No, no, no. You're not turning this around well, on me first. What's on you my can mind go first. Is you know my business. As I was just saying to my daughter in the elevator there, as we were coming up, she's in the background working on something there. Um, oh, you know what? We'll get Jesse to read that letter on air in a minute. No. <laughs> That's pretty good. She got the greatest email recently. Yeah. From, yeah. But um, I'm thinking about you know minding my own business, as it were. Right. Uh, and, you know, how, I mean, I've been thinking about this the last little while. Like, what am I going to change this year? What do I want to do differently this year? What I want to add? What I want to subtract? We were just having a meeting. Um, uh, and the dear listener will it. know that our last podcast was a sort of summation and a look forward into the new year. Yeah. So, so rather than like, rather than rehash all of that well rehash i yeah, was going to say rather than go into the granules let's look at the stones themselves let's let's really pick a thing what's on your mind today what are you solving today you came in here with a gusto well uh, the thing i'm really just trying to get fig- get going on uh is those exactly those big rocks this is a time of year for me where it's a bit of a limbo in january always for me because i'm waiting for replies on certain things like i'm always waiting to know like this that or the other thing and until i really get those few pieces of information it's hard to make precise plans so i'm always making like tentative plans yeah we have to settle into the precise plans so i'm always in that kind of limbo space and i'm trying to navigate that and for the dear listener it's maybe worthwhile to mention that um as the studio has grown and as our friends of the studio list has grown, we've started to create documents that allow us to know as a group for people who are in different cities, who's at what show, when, how can we share 
travel expenses? How can we share accommodation expenses? How can we help each other? You know, you're all in the same circus, so you might as well ride on the same train. And uh, this, Jan like January is usually the time where I'm able to give a lot of definitive answers. And this January, I have almost no answers that are like, what are the specific precise shows I can attend? What are the means by which I will do them? Why am I doing them? When am I doing them? I have so many collaborators right now on different projects that until I know what they are planning and then what our agents or publishers are planning, I can't give straight answers. And that right now is my personal hell. Yeah, I, I find it very frustrating, that sort of thing. And it even extends in different... Well, well, again, like Jesse's sitting over there. I was talking to her about some stuff. I wanted her to do it earlier uh, for me. But all that's sort of, in some ways, contingent on, like, she applied to this particular program. If she gets into that program, then she's going to be doing this thing, which means she won't be doing that thing, right? And then, you know, uh, like... Uh, but if she doesn't get into that program or decides to delay it or whatever, then, you know, that means a set, different set of things. So, like... You know, that's just a decision like that can't be made because there's no information yet. Yeah, and, and then that's going to sort of cascade. Like, there's all there's all sorts of there's a lot of things like that in my life right now where it's like a cascading. Like, will I get this grant? If so, I'm going to work on that thing because I said right. I would. But if I don't, I got to scramble for a client or whatever. You know, like it, it gets very granular. So what I'm trying to do is not stress out about those things like I usually do, uh, and instead just think. I was talking about this in the meeting we had a little earlier. I was just thinking like, okay, like three to five years, here's what I want to be doing. What do I got to do now to set that in motion? And yeah, long-term plans is good. No. Yeah. No. Jesse, bring your laptop over here. Bring me, bring that, bring <laughs> that email you got. Bring it podcast. over here. Oh, he wants the email. I want that email you just received that you shared. You're going to read that. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to redact the names to protect the innocent. But I think it's um, worthwhile to people who that are interested in a creative life. Day now. So for those of you who don't know Jessie, she's the smartest one in the room <laughs> currently. And uh, reached out for an internship position to learn the ropes in some publishing uh, avenues. So Jessie is now going to read for you <laughs> the reply to her query Remember of whether slow. or not... Uh, she can have an internship at this undisclosed publisher. This is the answer. Okay, well, the publisher is saying um, they need someone to drive to Mexico and pick up a shipment of undisclosed goods. <laughs> so they're checking that my class one license is in good standing, um, that I can drive a semi-truck. Um, <laughs> of course, to, to be sure that, you know, the paperwork might not be in order, so I might have to wing it. Um, but that I, I do get a uniform, and then I have my choice of... Uh, trucker hats, one with my name and the other uh, with a picture of Jesse from Toy Story. Um, and then, you know, of course, an invite to actually set up a Zoom meeting and talk about some real stuff. But. So this is from a publishing it. company? <laughs> <laughs> or drug, drug cartel? Yeah. That understood, <laughs> yes. That, uh, somebody yeah. with a real good sense of humor. Right? <laughs> answered first with, like, the answer you would never I want that. to that. hear. If you ask for an internship, yes, we need you to drive a truck to the border. The paperwork is not in order. You'll have to wing it, but just get the goods to us no matter what. But oh, that is actually, great... let's set up a Zoom call and talk about yeah, your yeah. credentials. I love that joke. And if you're, if the publisher is listening, you know, yes, I, I think, that made me laugh like nothing I think they else. Are. Yes. But, so. but also, it is a good metaphor for publishing in the state <laughs> of the world today. Hey, look how it's being eaten. You see? 
Makes you think, doesn't it? Mm. I mean, what's it all about? You guys are talking about uncertainty, right? Like, there's a bit of uncertainty right now. It's not like the steady income you would have from that a regular is the nine theme to five. That's a great episode. topic. There we That's go. Uncertainty. About what so, to do in the age of uncertainty? Right. Well, and for you guys in this field, it is a bit uncertain because you don't have a regular paycheck, right? You have to kind of go from job to job. So there is a bit of that kind of inherent in this work, right? Yeah. So let's Feast list some of our regular uncertainties. So uh, cash flow is a regular uncertainty. Um, supply of printer. Um, shipper, convention, flights, all of these things are all up in the air right now. Um, recently, somebody sent me like, oh, yeah, we can ship that to you, but I'm sorry to inform you that our shipping fees have tripled, right? Think, just things like that, you know, just a lot of uncertainty right now related to those things. How about you? What are your, how's your uncertain future? It's actually so funny that, First off, that was a great segue by Dan because I'm sitting here listening to you guys talk and go, you know, what's on my mind? Money. That's it. And it's because uh, currently, you know, I, I feel like I have all of these opportunities that, um, you know, maybe down the road, if I were to to act on them now, they could be very lucrative. But because of the field we're in, there's so much, so much of the the work is upfront and the and it's cash flow heavy in the back so you have to put the work in before the money shows up yeah. and, but meanwhile we all have these bills that we have to pay and i have a wedding that i have to pay for later this year and there's this um you know you also want to feel like you're financially contributing to your home life and not just being a freeloader while your partners make off with a real job and paying the bills and where do you find the the balance in you know, following something that could end up being very lucrative, but also knowing that in the immediate present, you also need to be paying your bills. Let me tell can, you Can short I wait? Story. Hold on. I'm going to summarize <laughs> by linking Dan's segue to Lyndon's comment about money to a framework that we can use to discuss uh, our uncertainties. And I would say this. Let's break it down like this. What you're describing is now money and later happiness – or now happiness and later money. Correct. And what kinds of things you have to decide as a result. Let's let me tell you a little brief story which involves you, Gregory. And then I wanna maybe let's get in, me. Oh. and let's get into some maybe concrete examples of like actual things I'm doing to try to do this. And then I'll give we'll all so give a concrete example story. of now money, later happiness, or now happiness, later money. So I was once uh, a, a little couple of years ago before the pandemic hit, you had uh, uh, someone in here organizing your prints. The place was a disaster. They were organizing prints and doing different things for you. And I was sitting over there. I was working on a grant application. That was what I was doing that day. And then, that was the single greatest I investment who, of the year. Yeah. And, and you had some. Shout out to there. Matt who came in to do so that. So Matt, that's who it was. Yeah. So Matt had come in and, you know, Matt's doing Matt's thing. And I'm working on my grant application. <clears throat> and I remember when he, when Matt left, uh, you were like talking to him about like you were paying him basically and then he was leaving. And I was, and I remember saying to you afterwards, I go, you know, Gregory, I go, that person either made way more money than I did today. <laughs> I, you know, they made whatever it was, 300 yeah. bucks for the day or whatever it was. I go, and I either made no money or $15,000 and I won't know for another six months. Yeah, that so typifies this side of publishing and this sort of hustle of selling creative IP in any avenue is that you are putting out um, 
pitch packages, pitch decks, ideas, and things that if someone says yes, the payday is substantive and substantial. And if they say no, the next one might say yes anyway, so it's not a big thing. But you might spend a month or two months, 60 full days doing nothing but send these out, getting zero income as a result, and then a payday. Yeah, and it may not be predictable, as you say, when, yeah. when you get that. So like a concrete thing that I've been doing to try to manage uh, some of that uncertainty uh, is, one, I've just started, over the years, I've been moving to larger and larger... Um, Auto theft. <laughs> oh. I've been taking money out of your wallet. Yeah. You wouldn't <laughs> download a car. here in the studio. <laughs> First, I got a key to the studio, and I can come in here when you guys aren't That's around right. yes. and poke about. <laughs> For valuables. But, uh, well, what I've been doing is moving to flat rate billing. Mm. Like day rates or flat rate for the whole project? project. And getting paid in advance of doing it. So now before I do anything, I get the full amount of money up front, and then I start working. So I do a retainer. So just as a counterpoint, I often uh, do with creative work a retainer, so half to begin. And I tried to make my retainer the amount that if the person disappeared and I did the work, I still would be covered, right? Because in creative fields, so often people will put together, cash flow is a problem for everyone, particularly creatives who have wild ideas. So they can usually get the starting funds, but can't always get the finishing funds. So I try to make the starting fund ask equal to what it would have, what the mayor minimum to have done it would be. Yeah, so I remember, I think because you advised that, at one point I moved to that model, um, and I was doing that for a while, and then I was kind of doing hourly rates for some clients. Um, so now I've moved to no more hourly rates, uh, but also like so, so just to flat rates, um, but also to um, the full amount up front. Which, again, you can't just start there necessarily, unless yeah. you have a really specialized skill. Yeah. You can offer full, uh, and I think a way to build on this is you can be asking regular clients for full amount up front because they understand you've worked with them, you have held hands together down the garden path, and you understand what's at the end of that. So they'll understand the reason you're asking is because you want to block that time for them and them alone and do a really good yeah, job. Yeah, and they trust you. They've seen yeah. your work. You now, can't ask for that like a stranger or you could if That's you That's how had, NFT scams are, well, but are you, launched. You, you could ask that from a stranger, but only if you've got like a, a good profile and a, you know, you're not just nobody starting out. Lyndon's talking the least, so I'm going to bore his mic when he needs to talk. Um, but it's, it's like, um, oh, now I've lost my train of thought completely. It, it was like, sorry, what you guys were just talking about? Flat rate billing. Sorry, what? <laughs> no, NFTs. flat rate billing. Flat rate billing and asking for your amount up front, having a good relationship. Yes, and, yeah. that's, and that, it, what it is is that you're asking them for money for your time, to pay yep. for your time. They need to know that that money is going to go towards a, a good use of time and not a waste of time, right? Yeah. So you have to prove to them that you're going to use the time valuably. And so that's what they get that with, with, you know, when they work with you, you've delivered on multiple occasions, so they know that you're going to deliver, but there's some trust to be built with new clients, right? They right. don't know that yet. They're not going to just trust you blindly now this this is still in the scenario where you're people are paying you for your time yes. so i'm still doing that but i'm also making plans to get away from that because ultimately even at a flat rate even getting paid in advance it's still a loser's game to get money for to time. trade time for money yeah 
Um, so I'm not at that point, but I'm, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm doing things now uh, and trying to set things up so that I can move into that area. Like I never want to stop working and not doing anything, but I do want to be in that situation where it's like, if I stopped and just did my own thing and it took me extra time to come up with this idea or whatever, it wouldn't matter to my finances. Everybody else happy with my little plan of marching up and down the square a bit? Sarge? Yes! I've got a book I'd quite like to read. Right, you go read your book then. For me, uh, writing, illustrating stories, making things up and putting it down is as essential to my well-being as eating and sleeping. Like, honestly. When I really look at myself, for me personally, this is not, I think, how other people operate, but for me... I would rather go three nights without sleep than three days without being creative. Like that is in the cycle of my mental health, I can do without eating faster and better than I can do without having a room of one's own and a few hours to get some ideas on paper to organize those thoughts. The management of my own ideas and, uh, you know, maybe it's mania that I'm getting ahead of that has not manifested, but whatever the case is, the, the, facts for me are I'm happiest if every day there's a block of time for me to create. And so the now money has to make space for that now happiness, or I can't actually accomplish anything on time. Because if that system gets disrupted, if I'm not able to make things for no reason every day, I can't make things for a good reason every day either. Yeah. And along those lines, like I'm, I'm trying to very consciously move my business more and more fully towards products rather than services, uh, where I can be reselling things and, um, not necessarily having to make a new thing every time, even though I might just want to make new things for fun or just cause that's what I want to do. I don't want to be in a situation where I have to do it. Right. And also I want to move into royalty paying, uh, uh, you know, products rather than like where you're being paid royalties or you're paying other people being royalties, paid royalties right. yeah. as a, so again, you know, the, the long game for being a writer as a simple ex business example, the long game is royalties. Mm -hmm. You know, you quit your day job. Mo I mean, I don't have a day job because royalties <laughs> but, are but most writers. You quit your day jobs. The, the, the wise money is you yeah. quit your day job when your royalties can sustain you. So I'm not there yet, but that's the goal, right? The goal is to get to the point where your royalties sustain you. Uh, and there's two ways to get there. Um, one is you just have more products paying you royalties. And the other is you eliminate your expenses and debts. So the way I look at it is there's sort of a spectrum. As we've said, the most efficient way, the least efficient way of making money is trading your time for your money. And the dream that you want to achieve is that whatever it is you decide you want to do with your time, that is going to generate you money. Yeah, and uh, let me just qualify <laughs> that. Let me qualify what Lynn is discussing by saying whatever you're being paid at whatever job you are in is less than the value of the job you're doing, and that's how the company runs. Yes. So you're always being paid less than you're worth so that the company has profit enough to exist. And so it's not... You know, it's it's the banality of evil. That's just how companies run. So if you're being paid somewhere, a dollar amount, and you think, ah, I'm being paid what I'm worth, you're not. That's actually a lie. If you've ever, if you're in a job where you feel like you're being paid what you're worth, if they have the money to pay you, 
they're making twice or three times or ten times from your efforts what you are being paid. Otherwise, they wouldn't have it as a job. This is actually an example that I looked at when I was looking into legal jobs, and it's that you could go work at a law firm and they'll pay you $125,000 a year. But if you look at the amount you're billing out, uh, you're actually making $600,000 a year that's going into the firm, and the firm is paying you out a quarter of that money. Yeah. And so you're working for far less than you're actually generating. And so the idea, the dream, is that you're keeping all of the money that you're generating rather than leaving that um, difference, that space between what you're making and what you're generating to be paid to someone else or to be paid to a corporation. And defenders of trickle-down economics would say, you know, it takes money to run the infrastructure of that business. And while I will admit it takes that a large amount of money to get a business running, once it is running and able to charge four times what you're worth for the service that you're being paid to provide, uh, there's room there. There's room there to keep people happy. Now, and people if it's aren't a true it. business. Yeah. It now, depends to, to, to get into weird nonsense. <laughs> Uh, but but broadly speaking, that's the principle. It's extraction. Regardless of it's, how you feel about it, it's that's wealth the extraction from labor, right? And you have any uh, longtime listener to the podcast will know that you'll hear me say you should control your means of production. And so, as an artist, what I mean by that is keep your creative time free to create without but, clients dictating what that creation is. But because let's, let's acknowledge the downside, though. I will. I'll acknowledge the downside in a minute. If you are not free to create, then your creative output will be limited to the desires of the marketplace, which is a diminishing return as trends fade. If you're being creative for no other reason than being creative, you may strike upon an innovation as a result. And innovations set new trends and create new markets. So if you think of art the way that you think of invention, that's why you have, you need to keep that inventing space sort of clean. That's why I There always, is a downside, though, which we can acknowledge. Well, yeah, let's get into the downside in a second. But that's why I always say um, you got to write the wrong way. You know, you, have, you, have, you want to be looking for the Shameless innovation. Plug. But the risk is the other side. Like, the reason that that law firm is right, in a manner of speaking, <laughs> to take the 600000 is because, you know, they are the ones who will lose a million dollars if it all if, you, if it, it all, all goes apart. awry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So but I'm, as a corporation, they stand to which is, actually personally not, lose nothing. Yeah. So you get so that's one reason not I'm a corporation. For example, I would yeah. still in this scenario lose all that money because I'm legally responsible for the corporation. Right. It's not like a. It, it's different because it's just me. So, dear, dear listener, just to get us back on track here for a moment, uh, the there's a chasm between a chasm, ch- chasm, chasm, schedule, schedule, schedule. There's a large space between trading your time for your money and that point where you that point that you aspire to reach, which is that every thing you do is is making you your full value back. And so that's where you need to learn or start trying to build in ways to buy back your time. And that's why I think there's value in a flat rate billing system over an hourly billing system. Because with a flat rate, you can charge more for a task that will take you less time to do, and you'll be paid the same amount regardless. So if yeah, something yeah. The prom- being paid by the hour diminishes because the fast, the better you get at the task, the less you're making. Per Correct. Hour. Yes. Yeah. So if a task initially takes you an hour to do, 
you should charge two hours of time to do it. And that way, even when you, no matter how fast you complete that task, if you have an hour of it left, that is now your time that you can be paid to do the project that you actually want to be doing. I engaged a freelancer recently and, and told them how they should adjust their billing to me was when you do the task the first time, it's going to take you the longest. So track that. And then no matter what it becomes after that, charge me the same for each task. And now I'm telling them, I'm advocating for myself. I'm technically paying them by the hour, but I want them to first calculate what the hours of the task would be the first time and then charge that whether it takes that long for all the subsequent iterations or not because I sh you shouldn't be penalized for getting faster. Or conversely, you know, if uh, they're being lazy and dragging their heels, you should, you're capped That's right. at how much you're paying. It them. caps, so, yeah. And so in a way, what I did was I negotiated with them that flat rate billing. Yeah. So as you, Lennon, as you say, that's a step up. Flat rate billing is a step up over hourly billing because of a variety of reasons. But the ultimate like goal is you're not trading time for money. Even if you want to do the work, you don't want to be trading time for money because you only have so much time. There's just a mm -hmm. natural cap. And a real obvious example, real simple, like, hey, where do I have flat rate billing in my life right now, dear listener may ask? All your streaming services. Think of that. No matter how much you watch it, no matter how much you like it, the cost is the same every month. Right. And I know that there are months where I haven't looked at my streaming service once, but I still paid for it. Now, that's the other side of it. Uh, you know, can you get into recurring billing? Now, I'm not in, I mean, you could argue I'm in recurring billing, but not really. Not really. Uh, that's, but, you know, ideally, <laughs> I would be moving towards recurring billing of some sort um, more consistently where, again, you notice that it's very annoying, actually, for some people. For me, with software, I find it really annoying when they want to, you know, it's something I could have paid a flat rate for now to pay every month. It drives me nuts. But, you know, there's reasons that you would pay monthly, like streaming. I pay monthly to Adobe. Yeah, I'd rather pay them flat. and you know, But, you know, it provides enough of a value that theoretically it's worth it, right? So without getting in the nuts and bolts of whether... Uh, whether it's great or not, uh, it's from the artistic standpoint, it certainly is better to get paid every month. For cash I'm thinking flow. of my Adobe billing as retroactive, though, because I spent decades <laughs> where I had copies of Adobe software and well, don't say used them on the podcast. Right. Well, it did, you know, everybody did. That's why they switched to monthly billing. I know, and, right? and when they did and they kept the upgrades functional, practical and useful, I switched and I pay happily yeah. pay a month of it for the full suite. Ah, good afternoon, sir, and how are we today? Better. Better? Better get a bucket or throw up. I Gaston, a bucket for monsieur. And in theory, you know, one of the reasons they probably could do that is you, they had this monthly income they could rely on, yeah. right? So it, it helps a lot to have recurring, but, you know, just on the larger, broader concept, I think something that's kind of important to think about uh, is if you're an artist of any stripe, but especially if you're you know, a, a writer, um, you really just need to be thinking about how, do you, how are you different from other people? And like what differentiates you and what can you double down on that you're good at that other people can't do and AI can't do? Well, if <laughs> I know, keep my prompts secret, if I keep my prompts secret, my work will be different.
By the way, speaking of AI, <laughs> we had the conversation about AI, and that's coming up at, at the college as well, uh, because now we're looking for students submitting AI written work. Oh, yeah. Because it's affecting the writing as well as the artists. So, yeah. yeah thank so. God they're using the AI, and you don't have to mark that garbage anymore, Dan. <laughs> this is what... You know, I had the unfortunate point of view. Yeah, I had the unfortunate uh, occurrence of going through some student work recently uh, that was supposed to be at a professional level from the college, and it was so bad, Dan. I wish they, they were not my the students, AI. were they? They were so bad. No, they weren't your students. <laughs> okay, good. Just, but yeah, so no, it's, it's an issue. But still, I think that, and so we have to kind of keep an eye out. Apparently, there are AI uh, bots that will help you spot AI writing uh, or something like that. So <laughs> right? there's all kinds of things. This is the <laughs> irony is of the That's university. what William Gibson calls the aunties now. Yeah, Everyone but, needs your wait, wait, auntie. I don't want to get derailed by the AI conversation. Let's not get derailed by the AI conversation. I'll say one more thing, and I'll just say that uh, I am seeing it, uh, examples of real work uh, in the Canadian press feed. There are sports articles written by AI bots. For sure, well, it's very easy to write a sports article when you know how many people have scored a goal and how many people have blah blah blah. So that's all they do: is plug the stats in, and it writes out full sentences. This right. person did this and that, and that's it. Yeah. And it's that's as long as the AI is giving one hundred and ten percent in the game, <laughs> right? As long as it showed up and it gave one hundred and ten percent, I'm I'm for that. All right, all right, okay, move on. Don't worry, yet. But like page rates, for example, are an yeah. example of a flat rate billing model. Yeah, in a way, yes, yeah. Because yeah. no matter how fast you do a page rate, Gregory. You're going to be charging the same amount of money. True. Yeah. And uh, same with lettering, right? So if if uh, you're charging for a book that's lettered and one page has no lettering, you still charge for it. Yeah. That's you're why I try to get away from doing lettering by the hour. Yeah. Well, you have. Yeah. You shouldn't working by the hour, especially as an artist. I mean, how this comes down to that happiness thing, right? I'm happiest making stuff. If I totaled all the hours of certain projects, I'd be paid, even my most lucrative, quote unquote, dollar paying out projects still only paid pennies an hour. Because the yeah. stuff that's most impressive is stuff I poured the most of my heart, life, and spirit into. But also even for a I don't lot of those projects, you're not going to make any more money off of it. Or right? you may never make money. Well, yes, I can because, you when know, you, when, you could, when I print know, twice... Right? Yeah. When I push print again on that run of prints, or I put print again on that run of books, I am able to recoup. I've controlled my means of production, meaning that I have the rights to print it, I have the rights to reproduce it, and I have the rights to sell it and benefit but when we look in at the that majority idea share. of trading your time for money, sort of the baseline way that most people work, yeah. you're not going to get paid twice for that work. You're going to get paid. Work. You're going to do your legal job for an hour, and they're going to pay you for an hour, and yeah. then that's it. Whereas if yeah. you're doing something creative or like Jonathan's saying where he can resell it, you yeah. can game he the can system. get paid again. Yeah, you, you, can, can... you can game the system, but it's very difficult. In fact, there was a famous, I forget the novel. There was an example where a guy wrote a novel at his day job. He like wrote it at the day job and he was like talking about this in interviews. Like, oh yeah, I was so, so I just wasn't busy at my day job. I was writing. That's called in... theft of services. Well, he, they sued him. They took the they copyright for the novel because he was under a work for hire contract. Yeah. Yeah. So when I do um, a teaching consultation or I come in and I do a term right now or any of things like that, I, I make it tacitly understood that cre what creative content I brought that's my own that I did before the class started that I'm now sharing with as a resource that does not belong. Because though the teachers union would protect you in, in a fight like that, there's no need to have that fight. And you don't want to have that fight where they say, oh, you published a book based on stuff you did while you worked for us. That's technically that belongs to us then. So you have to be real clear as to when and how you're doing those things. 
I was talking to my writing class the other day and I was explaining the idea of writing on spec. What does writing on spec mean? Like I was just explaining the term and I was getting into the concept of it. And I was saying like, look, there's two basic. Spec is the amount you're paid. No, no, no. Spec of money. (laughs) No, no. Yeah. (laughs) You're right. It's actually the the, um, the amount of value that that work has. No, no. This is the reverse. This is, see, this is what people think. Um, So, I was explaining, like, there's two ways to write. Like, specifically, I was talking about, like, screenwriting. I'm like, there's two ways to write. You can either be paid to write, like a company pays, you know, Stranger Fiction pays you to write a movie script uh, for their TV show they're trying to sell or they have sold or whatever, right? Or you can be write on spec, which just simply means nobody's paying you to write. You're writing your own thing for yourself. Right. And I was saying the thing that is people are always chasing that paid money job. Um, you know, they're just chasing it, they're chasing it, and they're just trying to figure out how do I get that paid job, how do I get that paid job. But, you know, and that's fine. Um, but what you got to understand is that, like, the real value, but, like, the big problem with a paid job, of course, like, the good side of it is you're paid. The bad side of it is you got to get somebody to pay you. So you can't just start doing a paid job out of nowhere. You can't just show up at, you know, the offices of, you know. <laughs> you can't Kramer it. You can't just Kramer it. You can't just show up at Saturday Night Live George. and start writing. George, not Kramer. Yeah, George. Didn't you, right. Doesn't Kramer. Okay, we don't want to. But anyway. Don't uh, want to get into this argument, but I'm yeah, pretty sure. Lennon's the Seinfeld expert, though, yeah. so I'll go with his memory. But um, I was going to say, but like you can't just like show up and start doing the paid job. They just won't pay you. But I think he's right. I think it was Kramer. I think he might be right. Yeah, I was just trying to give you. The he's trying to fix. Yeah. He's trying to fix the paper machine, and That's then right. he's he staying started, there. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, but what you can do when nobody's paying you and you're a homeless, <laughs> broke person, is you can just start writing. You know, on the back of a napkin or whatever. You know, you've got nobody can stop you from writing on spec. And when you're done writing, if you finish, and this is the big if, like if you finish something, you've got now a script in this scenario, it could be something else, like a manuscript. If you've got that manuscript, you've got that script, that's, in business, they call that an asset. Now, it may not be an income-producing asset. You're right, yeah. <laughs> but it's not costing you money. Yeah. It's an asset, potentially, at least. And, of course, what the company that is, you're been, the, what a production company knows is that what's valuable is the asset. They, in fact, will hire you. The reason they're hiring you and giving you a paid gig to write a script is that it's cheaper to buy you than to buy a script. And if they can buy you and you can turn out 20 scripts for them, like yeah. that's a good deal for them. Yeah. Now, it may also be a good deal for you, especially yeah. if they're paying you a good rate. You and but, I did, a, did a, yeah, right. a script that way where we were paid for our time and they kept the script <laughs> yeah. afterwards. Yeah. And, and, but, it, but the point here is that what the company knows, but writers often don't realize, is that the, the script is the asset. The mm-hmm. script is the income-producing asset. And if you now have a script, you're a writer-producer, you have something valuable, or at least it could be valuable. Maybe it's not valuable, but it could be. And even just the fact that it could be is actually a major, major thing. It'll get you in a room, even if it doesn't get you money. Yeah, now this, this ties into a, a theme that Jonathan and I have been discussing recently, which is that especially in the creative field. How many themes are we going to pack into this podcast? No one is going to hire you to do any work unless they believe, they already believe you can do it. Absolutely, yeah. So this... You'll never be paid, I I typify it as you'll never be paid to do something you're not already doing for free. Exactly. So a lot of the things that I see online are people say, or, you know, people saying, oh, I wish uh, an editor would come hire me to do this thing, or I wish someone would pay me to write this comic. But the reality is, if you're not already writing comics... 
there's no no one is going to hire you to do anything because you haven't proven you can do it. And why are they going to spend money on well, you? Well, they then? don't care about you. They care about the comic. They care about the asset. You, you can in business, you can either build an asset or buy an asset. Now, most companies buy assets because it's cheaper than building them. So but if you're a writer who doesn't have a job to do, you can build an asset. So let's look at this spec idea, this spec script, the spec writing idea, and let's frame it in the way a, a uh, we, we call them civilians sometimes at the studio, but as a, like a, a regular people. person in a regular job might think of their day as the time I have at work, and then I have my free time. Now, it's not called free time necessarily because you're free to do what you want. It's called free time because you're not being paid to do anything during those hours, right? So if you now think of it as the time that you have at work that is your paid time and your spec time where you could be creating things on speculation that they may one day be worth something, maybe you will watch less hours of TV. Maybe you will spend less time playing video games. Maybe you will realize that, because I tell people like, oh, I put, routinely put in a 10-hour day, and they're like, oh, God, I could never work that long. But those 10 hours include three hours of what you would have just defined as spec time where i write for no one but me where i create for no one but me and every day i put in three hours making stuff for no reason and if my 10-hour workday doesn't include three hours of making stuff for no reason i am in a terrible mood now how often do you guys see me in a terrible mood depends not right. usually terrible not usually because i'd rather work a longer day if that day included a three-hour stretch of making stuff for no reason. Okay, but I think there's a conversation here to be had about whether or not that's healthy in certain ways. Oh, for sure. It's not healthy. It is absolutely yeah. healthy. No, from oh, the here we go. Because, no, but, but here's the thing. No, it's good to have three different perspectives. Not health, health, wealth, and happiness. Sure, The yeah. three-pillar, the tripod of your life. Uh, it's better for your mental health. It's better for your wealth. And it'll certainly make you happier to do your own thing for yourself. Well, and my reason to do it is because um, uh, you'll be dead soon. And since I don't believe that there is a fluffy afterlife for me, I'm pretty sure that anything, any impact I need to have, I need to have here while I'm alive. There's and there are some things I want to accomplish that I can't accomplish in some other realm, some other place. So I'm going to try and accomplish them here. True, but the issue that I run into is, you know, I'm perfectly happy to come down into the studio, do my time for money, work, and then go home and spend three or four more hours working on my spec time yeah. projects. But unfortunately, I live in an apartment with someone that I care about deeply who also would like to spend time with me. Mm -hmm. and it is tricky. In yeah. a creative world, I live in a perpetual state of, I should be working on something. I should be working on a <laughs> yeah. project. I should be, yeah. with the time that I have, I should be using it to create something that will give me more time later. And that causes me to not enjoy the time that I have now. So, like, the idea of sitting down and playing video games for four hours in an evening, even a two-player video game, I can't do it. It drives me up the wall. Yeah. I feel like I should be out working on writing Let's or point out to comics. the dear listener that two things can be true at the same time. It can be true that if you put more time in your creative 
uh, endeavors, you will have more assets in your life, and you'll have more speculative time that you could then later turn into money if you wanted. But let's also remember that it's true that when you are completely focused on a creative idea, the people who love and support you and are supposed to be sharing that life with you are unavailable to you. And you have to find a balance that works. You have to find a partner that works. You have to, you know, um, 20, Tara and I have been together 25 years. So we've got it, you know, we've figured it out and we've and, had. And you have to set boundaries. You know, you have to set good your boundaries. Good decades and bad decades. With the people in your life so that you can get work done. Yeah. And you have to set your boundaries with yourself and your work so that you can, you know, go play video games or hang out with, you know, your friends or whatever it is you know, which you and, need and not be thinking about it constantly you yeah. have to have those boundaries with yourself and with your others and, and yeah so whatever. i can completely understand gregory's argument that you know it brings him personal happiness or it's healthy to have this time to have that creative expression for yourself your spec time work but it can be both healthy and unhealthy to your life if uh, if you fixate on those things you have to try to be totally present and now remember i'm talking about an ideal not a not a capable everyday practice but i try to be totally present when i'm present right and totally absent when i'm absent and that creates a boundary where people know i'm working and people know oh he's not working yes He'll tie your shoe. He'll take you to the park. He'll do your skates. He'll he'll whatever. Get your pego card. Whatever it is you need, when he's available, he's fully available. One of the things when when I teach that spec term and talk about that stuff, the lesson of that you know whole little thing is, you know, you have to always be writing on spec uh, if you want to have a sustainable career. In fact, I, I give the example of Justin Spitzer, who was a writer on The Office. Uh, Justin Spitzer, like I say, he was a writer in the office. That was his like paid gig, but he didn't own the office. So what he had to do uh, is, you know, write his specs while working at the office. And he ended up invent creating the show Superstore. So eventually, you know, that explains Superstore to me that's so the path, completely. Though that's the path, though. Like that's yeah. the career path. Even if you've got the awesome job on the office and you're making a lot of money. You still need to be writing the spec because you don't own the office. Dear listeners, if you're wondering what Superstore is, it's the office in a Superstore. Basically. But not, I mean... Not a great show in my opinion. Right. I yeah. find it to be a little weak. Uh, and I feel like the same people also made Blockbuster because that's also not a great show. Oh, yeah. What's that? I should check to see if it's the same person. Very similar. Um, but what's interesting to me is that you guys are talking about, like, you know, your job is to create fun and, and exciting, interesting stories. Like, that's your job full-time, right? You're yeah. a full-time uh, creative person. So for you to say, I want three hours of just do it for no reason, um, that's three hours you could be spending doing the thing that makes you money. So it's a bit of a tougher uh, choice, I think, for you to do that than it is for someone who's just working a nine to five every day and then going home and, and creating comics for fun. Right. It's more. I feel like it might be more fun doing it that way. I don't know. That's the misconception. That's that's the misconception that people have. <laughs> My friend uh, Alec is always it was always makes we may always make fun of like some guy came up to him once and was saying like oh you know you're an actor you do this film stuff must be nice must be nice and we're oh, always like joking don't like, get oh, me must started on nice. must be nice it's like oh. right like the but the discipline of it is that there's actually like so many things in that like the, if you're doing it professionally and full time you still have to like carve the time out to do it even though it's literally my my joke was always like when i was young my dad would be like 
stop reading those comics, stop playing video games, you know, like you got to get some work done, get, you know, it figured out, you know, you're wasting your time with all this stuff. And now I'm like, clients are like, why aren't you playing that video game? <laughs> Where's that comic? You know, <laughs> but you, you know, it's, it's, it's still like, even when it shifts to like, now you're doing fun, cool things for money, you still are struggling to get it done because it's still, there's a work level of it and it's not always going well. You yeah. can't just do it when you don't, when you feel like it anymore. In our household, we call them the repulsive essentials, right? There are certain tasks, you know, like you, all your bills are stacked up, and those are uh, in, our in our budget listed as repulsive essentials. Like, if you had your choice, you wouldn't want to pay for those things, but you can't not pay for them, so there they are, right? And they're essentials, and you can't change those values. Those are not up to you. In fact, they're up to everybody else but you. You just have to pay the going rate for them. And so some choices in your life as a creative person are, I'm going to trade time for money to cover my repulsive essentials. But after those repulsive essentials are done, every other minute of your day, what you do with it is your choice. There are essentials. Absolutely. Unassailably. And there are... Um, uh, opportunities afforded me because of when I was born, where I was born, who my parents were, what education level was offered to me that wouldn't, but I acknowledge all of those things. But in our life, in my adult life, there have been many more lucrative, quote unquote, dollar opportunities offered to me that I have turned down because the repulsive essentials are met. And everything else is free time. This is my waking nightmare. This is my you know, every single day that right. there are more Plus, lucrative options that I could be making and trading time for money. Are your essential? Are your essential? Are your repulsive essentials covered currently? Yes, but part of that is because I live with a very supportive partner. But and we, she and we is, share. Just don't buy that car. You guys are talking about. Yeah, don't buy a car and you'll be fine. Right? Don't buy a car, you'll be fine. Don't. Buy liabilities, only buy assets. <laughs> I'm nodding my head furiously. Yes. And make choices um, that don't add to your list of repulsive essentials, right? Buying another car might seem like, oh, what a wonderful luxury it would be to have this car. No, now you have another list of repulsive essentials that require you to trade time for money. I gave up my car a year ago and I'm not looking back. It's been awesome. Still something missing, man. Hmm? Hmm. Patient. Yes. Where's the patient? Anyone seems like patient. What you're talking about, Lyndon, as far as sharing a, a, a place with somebody and, and you know having that person to spend time with, I think of it even you could think of it as a hobby, although I know that for some people it's your job, so it's not, you don't want to think of it as a hobby, but you do want time to yourself, right? Even when you're in a relationship with somebody, you have time to yourself. So you go off and do your own thing, you read a book, you build model railroads or something. I don't know, you do something. My dad was a big into model railroads, and he would let's be down define, there for hours. Let's use to an do operational that. definition, Dan. Let's okay. define hobby as something you'd like to do, whether you got paid or not. Yeah, there, that's fair. Yep. Right? Yep. So. By that definition, my whole life is my hobby. Okay. There you go. Right? Yes. And I do things that I it. would do whether I was paid or not. Yeah. And I have then sought markets that would pay me for those skills that I have poured tens of thousands of hours into. 
And when they stack me up against other people, sometimes I come out on top of them because of the amount of time I've put in. So here's my question to you both then. And I want to bring this back. Not always. And I want to bring it back around to where we started. And it's the idea of uncertainty mixed with the idea of trading your time for money. Because when we look at how things work now, I could give up. I could, I could shed all of the uncertainty I have about my financial position if I just chose time for money. Yeah, If absolutely. I just went that's, and took the regular job. That's and so the trade-off. What, what is the value then of the time for money versus the, uh, the weight of that uncertainty? No risk. You're dead. Low risk, I should say. You're time dead. for money you're, is low you're risk. the walking dead. If I'm understanding your question, well, no. why not take the money and have no fears? And not worry about any of those repulsive That's a fine thing to do. Yeah, you can. And many do. And I have. And I will likely again. And these are fine. These are, these are fine ways to operate in the system as it exists now. But the system as it exists now is an extractionist, wealth-based system that knows they can pay you less than you're worth. But that's always going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> you can go make t- you can go you can, trade time for money any day of the week. Any day of the week. You can temp labor if you want to. Uh, to me there's like it's a low risk system, questions. but the high risk of it is that it's low risk in terms of like yeah, you can you can easily be in that system and you can do fine in that system. You can do well, you can be you know safe in that system to a degree. But you're at the mercy of that system now, and you know they can. Amazon can take your job away, whatever. And ask yourself when you look around. If you're, dear listener, if you like I have had a regular day job, have you ever looked around the break room and seen people who didn't want to be there, who would have done anything else if they could? They can. They have just been trained out of making the choice. It's just a matter of choice. That's all it is, right? Choose how to live your life. If you want to work a day job and then have the, like, I don't go home and, and relax. Well, I do relax in front of the TV, but I also go home from my day job and do other things, right? A lot of us do, but some people don't. Some people just like to chill and, and not do anything. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's fine. totally fine, too. Like, your mental health is obviously, first, health being the most important <laughs> of those, those three pillars, right? So if you're done work and it's drained you, and the only thing you can think to do is try to fill up again from something else, and you feel perfectly fine and happy with that scenario, by all means, continue. Don't, you know, fix what isn't broken. But if you feel, you know, the gyroscope out of balance, you know, you can get a five-ton gyroscope and it can balance perfectly on a thread on something as wide as a human hair, right? Five tons spinning. That's true. Yes. Oh, wow. I didn't know Right? But if one gram of the gyroscope is out, the whole thing will fly off, you know, at speed in another direction. Well, I feel like for maybe for you, Lyndon, it is about balance, right? Because you have to have a certain amount of financial um, oh, money absolutely. coming in and then also doing the things you want to do for fun. So well, it's we about all funny. do. Everyone in this room I guess has so, repulsive yes. essentials. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I think yeah. what they're trying to say is that no matter how chaotic or uncertain the world seems, it's okay to choose for things to be uncertain as long as you're filling up that cup. I think if the, you can big, handle it. the big lesson of uncertainty to me is you should just try to – be comfortable with uncertainty, <laughs> especially if you want to have a creative life. Like the, the most important thing is be, become uncomfortable with being uncertain um, because the system, you know, uh, like, like I, I hire people to do things for me. And like, I, you know, 
I've been paying those people the last six weeks. I haven't made a dime the last six weeks. I just finally got some money after six or seven weeks on Tuesday. I finally made money again. But like all through December, I didn't make one penny. I should not sure I made $500. <laughs> but that's only because I was working at the university trading time for money. Right. But, you know, I still do a little bit of it. Like I do a thing at the university here. I do like the service work, right? Um, but again, like, you know, that's... The lo- not the long game for me because I, I want control yeah. and I want um, I- I'm fine with risk and uncertainty because I train myself to be fine with risk and uncertainty and you can I was going to say you can train yourself dear listener for uncertainty here's a real simple task to train for uncertainty let's imagine you have a regular job and there are regular single serving conversations that you have at your regular job they're usually based on Whatever's on TV, cancel your streaming services for one month and try to have those single serving conversations without the shared knowledge of what everyone's watching. The pandemic is the first time And you can train for uncertainty. You will realize that, oh, in an uncertain conversation, you have the capacity to talk about something other than the newest episode of Seinfeld or The Office that you watched on streaming, but it's actually 20, 20, 20 years, years ago. ago. My, right? But Greggy doesn't know yeah, that like, because <laughs> no, but my, my whole the, adult life, I never had TV until the pandemic hit and I got Netflix. Yeah, but the point I'm making is that like you can train for uncertainty in other simple ways and realize that it's not as bad as you think, right? Or if you you know if it is as bad as you think, you know, fine, that's not for you. But like the uncertainty will never like people's job is uncertain. They think mm-hmm. it's certain until all of a sudden their retirement's gone, and then they realize, oh, I was lied to my whole life. Absolutely, yeah. So. Where's the uncertainty? To me, like the un- true uncertainty is having to rely on the system. So maybe that's just the, you know, gold hoarding, <laughs> you know, conspiritualist or conspiracy theorist in me. <laughs> but uh, I've, I'm more comfortable with the true, uns- the, the fake uncertainty of art, where at least I can, in, if you really get down to it, it really is more about, it's, le- it's less uncertain because I can control. Okay. It. Final thought until, in until trading. The AIs show up. Final the thought AI, yeah, in trading time for money. Um, I'm going to steal here now. I'm going to borrow from uh, most deaf uh, rapper, actor, um, very wise fellow. Pointed out that Confederate money, right, is no longer currency. You can't buy anything with Confederate money, but Confederate art is now a cons- now a currency unto itself. It has outlasted the coin of the realm and is now worth, you know, incalculably more than the coin of the realm when it was made. Art is an asset that is separate from currency and is transferable across currencies and through time. So those are the assets you should put your time into. I think this has been Gregory Kamichuk encouraging you all to go out and make comics. Um, on your free time or your spec time or maybe on your work time. Be kind, rewind. <laughs>